Captain, my captain. Hey, there you are. You always fade in, which is, I, I, it cracks me up. It's like this stunning moment where you just like fade into light. I'm like, all right, well, there he is. Yeah, for some reason, your email went to my junk, and that never happens. Well, yeah, I can't be going to your junk, man. I don't I'm think that's right. Junk. Hey, welcome to Shirts and Ties, a podcast about education and culture. I'm Brian Miller. And I'm Casey Shirts. How you doing? I'm sick as heck. Really? I'm real sick. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to hope, I'm hoping I can pull off the Jordan flu game here, but. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate the reference. Ready for the break? Uh, I am. Uh, I'm hoping to, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, uh, Last second, Mia's trying out for basketball. I think I told you she didn't make the volleyball team, which came as a surprise. It was a devastating moment. One of the more difficult moments in my parenting life. Well, there weren't enough girls. So she's like, text yesterday. She's like, tryouts started on Monday, but there weren't enough girls. So I'm going to I'm gonna go out for basketball. I'm like, all right, great. And I thought maybe there were. it was the number where she's just going to be on the team. But she FaceTimed me yesterday. She's like, uh, yeah, they're going to do cuts tomorrow. We have practice in the morning. So I'm anxiously awaiting that news. Ugh, yeah. So I don't know. It, I, I hope she does make it. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. Sure. sure. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Is that your your leftovers? What's, what you got uh, going So the, my custodian and my, um, my kitchen staff, they have – like a rubber glove that was filled at one point with carrots and now it's turning like this gross mesh because it goes frozen unfrozen frozen unfrozen and so when somebody does something well you give it to them it just says thanks for giving a hand and it's so gross <laughs> it was <laughs> it was on my desk this morning and it's like it's melted by that point and so it's just like this slushy it's just nasty <laughs> so anyway awesome. sorry hey so i think you're gonna love today's topic chicago um, bears Hey, you're so close. All right, so I'm I'm working on my lineup for fantasy football. I'm looking for a backup quarterback. This is a couple of weeks ago. And you'll never believe who the highest fantasy scoring quarterback was. Justin Fields is killing Lord, it. Absolutely. We can't win absolutely. a game, but he's killing it. Yeah, so don't mention that second part about not winning because that really ruins what I'm about to do here. But it, it did have me kind of thinking. I'm like, you know, if week one, week two. This guy's not putting up any stats. The team looks awful. The offense is awful, right? But then all of a sudden, you start to th see things change, and he's putting up good numbers. They're competing in a way that they Record hadn't before. Numbers. Right, right. And so the question that got me thinking about was, like, how do we get others to perform at their best? How do we get mm -hmm. excellence out of the people around us? That's my question. Yeah, and it's a powerful question. So uh, um, I have a couple that I can rattle off, but I'd love to hear, obviously, your thoughts first. So what do you got? Yeah, so uh, let me just focus on Justin Fields for a second here. Um, because here's what's true about that team. He's an immense talent. He's a unique talent. Mm -hmm. right? He's different than other quarterbacks in the league. But that team is limited in their talents. Their offensive line isn't great, right? Things had to change. They had to make some different decisions so that he could begin to excel. And, and mm -hmm. Justin Fields acknowledged that in a quote about his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. And here's what he said, and I think this tells us a lot. 
He said that ever since the mini bye week, he's done a great job tailoring our offense to fit my strengths to the other players' strengths. Um, and that got me thinking about what can you do as an institution to try to get excellence out of the people around you? And I think one thing that you can do is you can start to build a system to fit the strengths of those that you have. Um, I actually have a personal example of that. So not just talking about football, but here's a little baseball. So when I first started teaching, I was also an assistant baseball coach. I am a terrible assistant. <laughs> when I'm an assistant, I just stand around. I don't really do anything because I, this is a character flaw. But if I don't get to make the decisions and I don't get to execute my plans, I just have a hard time taking somebody else's idea and making them work. Hmm. And uh, I was coaching with a great friend, Bill Runda. He's my favorite person in the building. He and I got along really well. He was my mentor when I got there. I spent a lot of time chatting with him as a as a colleague in the classroom and, and uh, as a, a coach. And um, he recognized that I was not doing well. And finally, he came to me. He said, hey, I got a plan. You're going to be the hitting coach. I'm not going to mess with any of that hitting coaching. The hitting is now your job. You don't have, it, you just take it over. I'm not going to mess around with that at all. And boom, just like that, this group was mine. I got to make the decisions mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I, I felt like I had a purpose and our team started to hit better. And so he figured it out as an institutional leader. He knew how to get me to perform at my best. And I had an opportunity then to get the players to perform at their best. Hmm. Um, so when you're chatting and you can talk about Justin Fields and, or yourself, um, a couple of things that came to mind, um, not only did, not only do leaders cater something to somebody else's strengths, <clears throat> when I was considering this over the week, one of the things I wrote down is, cause that's, that's very obvious, or that's like a very traditional sort of normal, what are you good at? How can I, how can I feed that? How can I release that? But I also was thinking there's a very real importance of relieving somebody the burden of their weaknesses and acknowledging it, right? Like, Casey, you're not good at an assistant coach when when you don't like when you can't make it up on your own. So I'm gonna relieve you of that. Or you're just not very good. Like, or Justin Fields, right? Um, you're not a great pocket passer and don't have to feel guilty about that. So don't feel guilty about it. You are fantastic at creating at ad-libbing and kind of running around the field. So we're going to play to that. So there is the, yes, you're good at this, but I think it's radically important to also acknowledge specifically, here's what you're not good at. And that's not a bad thing. You're just not good at it. So let me just carve that away from you and be okay with that. What do you think? Yeah. So I have three points that I wanted to talk about. And you kind of jumped ahead to my second one. And I'm I'm really using sports analogy here. So the second lesson, and then if we have time, I can bounce back to what I actually had as my sure. first. But my second one was to have a playbook. And that playbook becomes the system that prevents mediocrity. Um, yes. I think a lot of reasons you have a system in place is to raise the floor. You don't allow anyone to perform at such a low level, it starts to hurt, you know, your building, your team, whatever system you have in place. And the playbook's an important part of that. In education, that playbook might be like MTSS, you know, the multi 
tiered system of support or RTI, your response to intervention. Those are some of the common systems that pe- that in education that people put into place to help prevent mediocrity and and to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks and everybody gets supported. Yes, RTI, I think all of those things, we use data a ton in our district and in education nationwide. One of the things that I struggle with it a little bit is because is is it's 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 finding the kids or obviously it's pointing out the kids that are not meeting this this um criteria and i heard a quote recently from uh, a gentleman on a podcast uh simon senek runs a podcast it's called a little bit of optimism and his most recent episode i forget the gentleman that he's chatting with but this gentleman is saying we need to get rid of goals goals are not beneficial and his quote was something like uh, i'm going to paraphrase it goals are just the consequence of reaching your limited expectations right and and i th- thought that was great he's like so if you say a goal of i i, I want to do this thing and this is my bar of understanding then then that's what we're reaching for and when we reach it that's that's a potential limitation and so his, he, he distinguishes though. He's like, there's little goals that you need. Like his example is running um, a relay. If you're little, like it doesn't matter how fast you are or how great you are. If you can't pass the baton, you're going to fail. So you have to have that little goal of passing the baton correctly. But his analogy of track was we thought forever we couldn't hit the, is it 10 minute mile? What, what was the? Four minute mile. Four minute mile. There. I mean, I've run a ten minute mile. I walk a ten minute mile. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, we couldn't hit a four minute mile, and we just we couldn't couldn't do it. And then somebody said somebody broke it, and then once they broke it, like it's been broken multiple times. And so his goal, his point is like, if you set this goal, oftentimes you'll reach it, but that's a consequence of a low expectation. But if you set a principle goal or a character goal. That allows you to go well beyond. And so that's, you can go back to RTI, this, this standard of here's where we need to be. Uh, they're, they're reaching our levels of, of understanding that we want them to be. I understand that because we need to, we need to compare it to something, but I'm just kind of always asking myself, I want a higher goal than that. I, if we are focusing on, on kids working hard and being good students and being curious and our teachers their goal isn't this academic grade, but this lifestyle of our classrooms. Reaching that goal is just what happens, but we're going beyond that. So you've actually drugged me backwards now to the first point I was going to make. And so <laughs> Jeez, sorry. I, everything I say now is going to be incoherent because you got me bouncing all over my notes. But um, one of the books that I went to th- for today's talk was uh, by Bill Walsh, who is the orchestrator mm. of the the early 49ers dynasty, right? And then his coaching tree is incredible. Mm. Um, and his book is called The Score Will uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Yes. And that was one of the things I wanted to point out, which is I didn't I didn't have goals in mind, but I think it's the same concept you can't spend all of your time focused on the outcome. You have to focus on the process and procedure that you've put in place to achieve excellence. That's a good point. And it might cause me to reframe some of the questions I ask as I work with the teacher teams and we start to, you know, try to do good PLC work, professional communities. And we're looking at data and things. When I, I mean, your point is a good one. And when I talk to them and when I try to engage them in, in thinking practices, 
I don't want to talk about the numbers. I want to talk about the things they were doing to achieve whatever results yeah. they achieved. And the numbers matter, right? You said before, don't be data-driven, be data-informed, right? So it matters. So even using your sports analogy, if I'm a basketball coach and I'm looking and I'm saying, listen, guys, uh, we're being out-rebounded. That's, that's the data, right? They are killing us on the boards. Um, we're not just going to say, so our goal is going to out-rebound them. Our goal is to box out. Our goal Absolutely. is to be aggressive. Right. Yeah. So you have to use the data for sure. But that's not the goal. And which is why, to use your sport analogy, if you lose a game, you can still be, although disappointed, you can still be very confident and OK with the loss. If your other goals of listen, guys, we did all the right things. We I saw you hustling. Our data points are actually good. They're just a better team than us. Right. Yeah, we're, we're OK. But if your goal is always win, 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 win you can do a lot of shady and unethical things to achieve that victory. And, and so now you've got the big W on, on the wall, but no one feels good about it. And it's really not a victory. So did you read the same books that I read in preparation for today? Because to, to finish my first point, which a lot of this does come from Bill Walsh, um, in order to get the most out of the people around you is you have to create that environment for success. And he says that means actions and attitudes mm -hmm. and your, your word integrity is an important part of that. You have to ha have high expectations for the actions that we will do and for the attitude that people will have. And the best way to do that is you as a leader have to act with integrity. Uh, you have to have high expectations for everyone around you. Uh, and you have to find a way to to quash any kind of negativity that exists within that space that you're working. I always want to define leader as anybody who has the influence over another. So that could be parents, teachers, friends, whatever. We're all essentially leaders. It looks different depending on, on your role. But the role of a leader uh, is always I think to model this, uh, my, my wife sent me a quote about a year and a half ago that said something like, uh, if you don't know where the mop is, you're probably not a good leader. Uh, and I love that very tangible phrase of if you, if you don't know how to go clean up a mess, if you don't know how to engage with the ugliness of your building, then all you're really doing is standing at a podium and telling people what to do and you're not engaging in the work. Um, and that, that to me is maybe my, my curtain call of like, if I do anything, Right. I want people to know that I'm willing to clean the toilets. I'm willing to mop the throw up. Uh, I'm going to do the hard work with you uh, because I'm, I, I won't, that's the success that I want. That we're going to be principle centered. And if we do those things consistently together and you kind of translate that into the classrooms, whatever, um, our students will succeed academically, as, but more importantly, they'll like, succeed as people. I've always saw, uh, I've always seen myself as a, person who wants to engage in servant leadership. And so for me, that means I'm leading within the populace of people that I'm working with. Uh, yes. I don't want to be an outsider. Um, also, though, when we talk about if we're looking for crisp examples of what it means to lead with integrity, some of the things that happen that you have to avoid engaging in, like you can't be a gossip. Right? <laughs> you don't want to denigrate the people around you. That's mm -hmm. not okay. And and you could never be wavering in the face of challenges, right? These are the yeah. things that it means to lead. You can make mistakes. Yeah. In the face of challenges. And so actually, I think that's a good point because uh, to even reference your, your fellow mentor coach back in the day, if you want greatness from people, 
leaders have to not only get out of the way, that's again, a pretty simple leadership rule I think that we can all follow, but I'm actually even more inclined to say that you have to be willing to, in some ways, be considered incompetent. And I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. Um, I think everyone wants to trust their leader, right? You need to be a leader that knows what they're doing and loves their people and knows what the mop is and, and can understand the conversations that we're having at hand. But a great leader will also allow someone else to take the spotlight, even to the point of their own detriment. So I've worked in enough places where somebody begins to, to take ownership of a situation or gain leadership experience. And when they do a good job, oftentimes they're doing it in an area that the, the boss is weak, right? And so the people around them will be like, man, you're so good at this. You should be the, you should be the boss or you're doing a better job than Miller at this, right? And that can be pretty hard and embarrassing and, and, and difficult to my ego. But if, if I care what's best for my building, I'm okay with that. And I'll just even use a small example of just yesterday, we hosted this author and it was great. Um, Dennis Matthew, he's a, he's a children's author. He's also still a teacher. So he came in and he was so good. My teachers came to me so many times saying, you can tell it's a teacher, the way he engaged with the kids and could redirect them. He was great. So for him to come in and to do this one hour session, we had to blow up our lunch schedule, lunch and recess schedule. We just blew it up. And instead of this very um, delineated times where kids come in and eat and go to recess and it's very controlled, uh, I looked at my staff and I looked at my kitchen staff and I said, we're going to feed 300 kids in 30 minutes, create an assembly line. When this thing's done, they're going to turn around and they're, they're going to go directly to the tables. They're going to eat. We're going to serve them. We're going to clean up the tables. We're going to get them outside. Like it's just going to be this crazy house. And then several people are freaking out about it all throughout the week. And I kept saying this phrase, it's going to be a good time or a good story. It's going to be a good time or a good story. Uh, right. So either we're going to kill it and we're going to love it or it's going to fail. And years from now, we're going to laugh about it. Fortunately, I think it's a little bit of both. That's the best one, right? Uh, we, my staff just did awesome. I have this picture of like this assembly line of all these you know, trays out that my staff, that the kitchen staff put out. And this is a long story and I'm sorry, um, but they killed it. And one of the greatest moments in the midst of all of this was I have this lead aide who I reference often, her name is Brittany. In moments like this, more times than not, people go to her over me. And that's kind of like, it can hurt me a little bit, right? Like they're not coming to me to figure out like how to work through this situation but it's what's best. And she's so good at it. Like, right. Like I'm in there, I'm mopping, I'm serving trays. Uh, you know, I'm kind of directing here and there, but really she's the point person. And that's, I love that. I love that my staff go to her and I love that she takes the reins. That to me was a, as an example of what you're kind of talking about of like, I don't do a lot of things well, but I, I think I allow people to shine even when it makes me feel a little bit embarrassed to look bad. And I'm okay with that because it's what's best for kids and it's what's best for the situation. Well, and you don't have to turn that into a negative at all. Uh, you, what you've done is you've empowered the people around you to do a great job. You know, what I appreciated at the time when I was so young, I was 22, 23. And by him saying, Hey, you're the hitting coach. He, what he said was, I trust you to do this job well, and yep. I'm going to let you go do that job. And that meant yep. a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think that that to me, that's a big, that's a good point. So since we've been bouncing around a little bit, I just want to 
restate uh, what I think a couple of the lessons from sports are so far, which is, uh, first of all, create an environment for success, um, high expectations for attitudes and actions, right? Collective efficacy. I think the other one we we touched on was, you know, have a playbook in place so that you have a plan so that all the people in that organization can succeed. Um, my third then is more about the individuals. And this one took me a while. Um, and I, I flipped through a bunch of books I had and I was thinking about this a lot. And finally, what I settled on is I think the best way to help individuals reach peak performance is to get them to visualize what success looks like. And then, you know, so then my question is, well, how do you do that? How do you get people to actually picture success? And I think one of the best ways to do that is probably just to ask the right questions, right? One of the best techniques in the classroom is to ask your students really good questions that get them thinking about the things you want them to think about. And I think that's probably true when you talk about working with people and you're trying to get individual excellence. Uh, that points, I think, to like this, this, we're not doing this specific task where we're reaching for a higher principled goal or whatever. So I'm going to ask you a question on this individual component. What if you have somebody who's a good person, you trust their integrity, but truly they just don't want to be great. They're just content with showing up to work, doing my job and going home. So all of like these hoorahs, these assemblies, these let's be great, let's be you know, reach for the stars, whatever we're going to say. And they're just like, no, thanks. I'm, this is just a nine to five job for me. And I'm okay with that. What, is, is that okay? What do we do with that? Well, we can, we got to make sure that no harm is being done, right? That's the sure. minimum. In as I think that's what I mean, my, they're a good person. They're a man and yeah. woman of integrity. So right. they're not doing bad. Yeah. So in the end, being in a profession like we are, there there are some limits on what we can do versus being an actual coach of a team. Um, but the one word that came up time and time again as I was looking through, you know, quite a few coaching books, I just decided to focus on that, just make this uh, sure. an analogy to sports. But the word was commitment and when when you evolve a person from i won't all the way to i'm you know committing to success but that is a great challenge how do you get someone to commit to that i i think the first stage is is helping them visualize the end i, I think so much of success is about the mental part and that's why you're going to find so many books that talk about you know the, the mental aspect of of okay. being great i might just start engaging them in a conversation about greatness that gets them to picture themselves as excellent teachers. So I wrote down a few questions. Here's my first one. Uh, so let's imagine I'm talking to a teacher. I'll just say, Hey, what will I see in your classroom when you are executing a near perfect lesson? And just let them start talking about what excellence looks like. Let them think out loud about that. No, that's a good question. Um, so then they can, if they can picture a near ex near perfect lesson and they come up with it, they can begin to articulate, well, well, that means that this shouldn't be happening or I shouldn't be doing that or I shouldn't be allowing that. Um, no, that's really good. Okay. What's your next question? So the next one is what common challenges might you face when trying to execute this lesson? And then what plans do you have to try to overcome those challenges in advance rather than waiting for them to happen? 
Hmm. So, because here's the thing, and, and to me, if we're going to make that sports analogy, planning for a lesson can be similar to your plan. You you're putting together a game plan for you know whatever team you're playing. And so, if you know your fourth hour class or whatever it is, um, you know some of the things that are common mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what plays that class runs, mm-hmm. then you can have some things ready in advance. And so, and that's what that's, master teachers do, right? They in my first couple of years of teaching there in in, uh, in Gillette, uh, I had the same six classes that, that I taught it six times over three days or two days, right? My lesson plan in my first couple of years was the same thing for all six classes. And then as you grow in your excellence and you grow in your profession, you begin to anticipate this class isn't going to handle this very well. I have to manipulate it. I have to change it. Right. That's what excellent does is you don't react, you uh, prevent. Yeah. And you're going to get classes where the skill set of the students is different. Right. So I got a a professional development group off the ground. I invited some teachers. Hey, how could we reshape professional development for the building? And uh, the team decided that I should do a lesson on on universal design for learning. And I'm like, absolutely. That'll be a ton of fun, because to me, that master teachers that's what they're doing they are fully prepared to be able to respond to any of the needs of the students in their classroom and they have a set of tools ready if you know students um don't have the background knowledge you're going to make sure that you have some things ready to front load if you know a student has some reading deficiencies, but their goal is content, then you'll just get them the tools to be able to hear so that they can access the content, even if they're not great readers. Right. And so to me, that's what the playbook should be doing is we should be well prepared for all of the known and expected challenges that we're going to face. Back to what if, what if they just don't want to be great? And we have students in our classrooms that are like this all the time. And to be honest with you, they're like the forgotten majority of our students because they're not the high achieving students that are just doing great things that we post their pictures on the wall or their their essays are making us like tear up because they're so good. They're also not the behavior problems, so they're not getting sent to the office or stealing our attention or when I'm creating the lesson plan, I'm not thinking about, um, you know, my behavior kids. I'm like, how am I going to interact with them? How am I going to engage them? And then you have the bulk of your kiddos who are just these solid B students, right? And they do good work and they're good kids. Uh, and you can translate that into staff. You can translate that into so many things. Um, and my wife is the one who actually really challenged me on this because in my first couple of years of being a principal, I was like this incredibly romantic. We're going to do amazing things all the time. And every staff member is going to be a teacher of the year and just push and push and push and push. And, uh, and, it, and it didn't go really well, right? Like there was some pushback. Um, and she's like, what if people are just okay with being okay? They're okay with just doing a good job and that's all they want to do. I think that's okay. And I think the the important part for us as leaders and as teachers is to still make those people feel radically valued and important, believing in that maybe they might move the needle a little bit, but if nothing else, it's okay to just have solid people who are good people, who are men and women of integrity in your building, who are just solid and they're not always changing the culture. I almost put a fourth lesson on my list, which was surround yourself with good people. That's how you're going to get excellence. Yep. Uh, but I felt like that might've been cheating a little bit because I, we can't always do that. Sometimes we just, we have the people that we're working with. Um, so I didn't go there. 
I think it's okay um, as long as everybody is a team player. Yep. You, you don't. You can't have a diva wide receiver. You can't have you know that veteran who's been around forever who's just resting on their laurels. You got to have, you know, if you're in a position of leadership, you still want to inspire people to excellence, and you want to try to get them to commit to that. Yep. And I think it's okay if you go home and it weighs on you a little bit that you didn't quite get everyone to be excellent. Sure. I think it would be dangerous as a leader to say it's okay that not everyone is excelling. I think you still want to work towards that. Sure. But you also don't have to carry it in such a way that it 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 weighs you down and burns you to the point that sure. you can't do your job anymore and you feel like a failure. That's not great. Sure. No, um I totally agree with that. And I think uh, any great leader is never content with mediocrity or never content with status quo. Um, however, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what you just said, because you, you made me think of um, a woman named Kim Chambers. She's a, um, she's a swimmer and she's a pretty fantastic swimmer. There's a, a good documentary about her. She, so the story that sticks out to me most with her is uh, what are the islands off of San Francisco? The Faroe Islands, is that what they're called? Something yeah, like that. it'd be okay. <laughs> so there's like this, there's these islands off of San Francisco that it's an incredibly difficult swim because you, you swim from those islands to San Francisco and you're swimming against the current. And so any of these big major swimmers, this is like uh, one of the Mount Rushmore's of swims that you have to accomplish. So she's going to go swim it, um, but she doesn't swim it because there's too many sharks in the water. So they wait till night to do it. And then that's when she does it. And I'm like, I don't know how that's any better, but whatever. Um, and so why I'm using her is because she at one point was a businesswoman who had this terrible fall, was about ready to lose her leg, ended up saving it. And then she started hanging out with these swimmers and she referenced that, like, she always thought greatness was these other people, right? Like she saw them on the outskirts and on TVs or whatever. And then she said, but when I surrounded myself with people who were doing great things, we normalized greatness. And that inspired the hell out of me because that I think is maybe the answer to some of these people who are just okay with, I'm just going to be the status quo. Well, if that's, and if you're good people and you're a man and woman of integrity, like that's fine. You're not a bad person and that's okay. But if us as leaders normalize greatness, then that status quo is greatness, right? Yeah. It, so we're not it just raises the floor. all the time. This is just what we do. Yep. And if it's just what you do, their their level or their bar of expectation rises not because they're wanting to be great they just are content with being the norm of what's around them yeah and i think that's what bill walsh was talking about when he said high expectations in both actions and attitude yeah uh, if 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 you begin to to pull upwards if i think it's going to raise the floor and i think everybody's going to perform at a higher level you know the other thing you had me thinking about because initially you were talking about students and so it sparked something in my mind um i just met with my newish teacher group so the people that are new to the building in the last couple of years a few of them are, are new teachers and uh we're recording in um late november and so there's going to be this time where students getting a little squirrely right we're getting yeah. excited for break and so one of the things I wanted to emphasize with them was we got to keep people engaged. And it isn't what you think. Engagement, like a lot of times people think engagement means we got to entertain them. No, mm -hmm. engagement just means we have to keep people thinking. We have mm -hmm. to keep people socially active, mm -hmm. right? And actually what I did when we talk about students is I, I called it guided, playful learning. 
guided being key, but human beings enjoy interacting with each other. They enjoy thinking about complex topics. Um, they enjoy problem solving. They enjoy having fun, right? And so we can do this with, with both adults and students. I'm going to answer this, find out if Mia made the team here. So, oh man, you're, this is live. <laughs> there we go. I'm, I'm podcasting right now. So, hey, Mia. Uh, but I, but uh, I, this call was important. So I'm like, all right. I, hey, well, congratulations. Okay. Did you throw down some dunks at, at tryouts today? There you go. All right. Hey, yeah. All right. Hey, I, I'm at a bit of a time crunch, so I'm going to go. I'm proud of you though. Okay, kid. Okay. Awesome. Love you, kid. See ya. Nice. Hey, so, all right. Relief to her heart, relief to dad's heart, I'm sure. Yeah, no kidding. I can enjoy the day now. <laughs> all right. What the hell were we saying, man? This has been a, quite a podcast. Uh, here. What were we saying? Were you talking about Bill Walsh? Yeah, just hi. But this, this makes for great podcasting, us. What were we saying? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't important, whatever it was. All right. I don't really recall exactly what you were saying, but I think we were kind of referring to this. Um, this culture that you create of high expectations. Um, and so that is, again, um, just an overemphasis to me is when you have an emphasis on integrity and principles, um, the hard work comes, the, the accomplishments come. The, the hard, if, if you're focusing on principles and, and character, integrity, the other things come. Uh, people will work hard, the accomplishments will come. Um, so we don't want you to need to focus on the actual rewards. We want to focus on the task at hand and how we're doing that task. And that to me is just, that's, that's where I think I, I want to focus on the most. And here's a quote that I wrote down. Um, and I don't know where it came from, but it just kind of kept coming to my mind as we're chatting about all of, all of how do you get greatness? How do you do greatness? I listened to another podcast this morning by a, a man named Patrick Lincioni. It's called at the table. And the whole podcast was about trying and they're kind of laughing about it in terms of like, uh, our culture is reduced so much recently in the workforce that trying is just an expectation, right? If you can try, we want to hire you. And I'm laughing because it's actually part of my like mantra, like do great things, give, relate, explore, analyze, and try. I think trying is a manifestation of hope. Um, but the other quote that kind of came to mind was what is humanity really good at? No matter where you are, who you are, what you are, what are we really good at? We're really good at making mistakes. And so I like that just relieves people. Yeah. And so in this quest for greatness, relieve people of mistaking, of making mistaking, <laughs> uh, making mistakes, <laughs> right? You don't have to be perfect. That's not what we're striving for. We're striving for greatness. And in the midst and pursuit of greatness, we make a shit ton of mistakes. Well, and when you talk about getting people to commit to excellence, I try is part of the process because right. guess what I try is? It's past I won't, yeah. right? And so yeah. I think it's progress. And that's where I, like, as I was listening to this podcast and kind of wrestling with it, the trying, I think one of the things that we, where we get trapped is when you become successful at something, you're no longer trying, you're doing, but you're doing the things that you know you're going to be successful at. And so we actually stop trying the things that we know we're not going to be successful at because we've experienced the high, the highs of the mountains. We've experienced the applause. And so we want to stay in that lane. 
And so we stop trying other things. And so I, I think that's that that to me is my big thing. Like trying is not just like it's not just this elemental sort of oh, try new things. It's like you are great at this, but you have to in order to continue continue to be great at this, you have to try these other things that you're not great at, and that's okay. And my fourth question, which we hadn't talked about on how do you get individuals to visualize success was what skills are you working to improve and what do you, how are you going to make that improvement? Right? So I think that's part of that visual of trying what skills are you working on getting better at next? Because if you're working at getting better, you know, you're going to stumble along the way. So it's visualizing growth. It's visualizing trying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, creating a culture that is comfortable with trying. And obviously that's that's the the low bar that we don't want to rest there, right? We're not just <laughs> trying and that's all we do. Uh, we're going to try with the goal of succeeding, with the goal of making it great. Uh, one of my good buddies, um, he just said something like, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it well, right? So if we're going to try, we're going to try well, we're going to fail well, and then we're going to retry again well. Everything should be spectacular. Your successes Everything. and your failures, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some pretty spectacular failures. <laughs> King of it. So, um, all right. So I think we're, we're kind of getting to an end here. So let me just ask you, um, what is one takeaway that you have from this? I love your phrase, good time or a good story. And the reason I like that so much is it reminds us that we can enjoy this difficult process. So um, we're either going to have a good time or we're going to have a good story to tell. We're going to enjoy this process. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but as a group, we're going to, we're in it together and we're going to enjoy it together. Good. Uh, my takeaway is actually your story of your coach. Um, that that's, if we want excellence, we have to allow people to take ownership and even steal some of our authorities, um, and let them kind of go off on their own and be successful. Um, cause when they're successful and we kind of, um, spread out the spotlight, that's when we have a stage full of people doing great things and we can really celebrate a task well done. So thanks for that story. Yeah. Awesome, brother. All right. Well, um, happy. Well, I was going to say happy Thanksgiving, but if you're listening to this, it, whatever. it might happy be Valentine's. It might be yeah. mother's day, whatever the holiday is, it's coming up. Casey, happy. to you. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy the break. I know you've earned it. So it's always been a good time until next week, brother, do great things and keep knocking. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach out shirts and ties on Twitter or shirts and ties at gmail.com. And I just want to add in really quick. I want to start a new thing here, which is an unpaid advertisement. And so I met referenced in this podcast, uh, another podcast by Simon Sinek. He wrote eaters eat last. He wrote start with why. Um, he, and there's another one in there. I can't remember the title of it. Pretty fantastic dude. He has a podcast called, um, uh, a little bit of optimism. Uh, and it's just a fantastic podcast of him talking with great people doing great things. Um, but it's always Simon Sinek advertises, um, or defines optimism as being radically realistic in your situation, but optimistic that we can change it. And so his stories are always that. And I just appreciate that. So if you want another great podcast, alongside shirts and ties, check out Simon Sinek, a little bit of optimism. Hey, I want to jump in. I'm pretty sure he was just on a Brene Brown podcast too. So check her out. With another guy well. who does, has a great podcast, Adam Grant. There you go. I think the three so, of them are on Brene Brown. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, hey, brother. Thanks, brother.
See ya. Yeah, we'll see ya.